0: chapter three the need welcome back for session three of the activated team series in your last session you explored how god has designed the gospel in us to be the very thing that motivates us to share jesus with others in this session i want to unpack how we actively participate in that plan our objective in this session is to recognize and embrace our daily need for the gospel And begin applying it to our everyday thoughts, emotions, activities, and relationships. Are you in love with Jesus? Sometime after I graduated high school, my mom began asking me occasionally, Are you in love with Jesus? This question used to anger me, which should have been my first indication that I maybe wasn't in love with him. But of course I was. I was an active volunteer at our church, leading worship and playing in a Christian band. And i only dated christian girls of course i was in love with jesus right i have a vivid memory of getting asked this question one day and storming out of the room stomping upstairs and flopping on my bed wondering do i love him was i in love with him i rarely wanted to read the bible and i certainly never spent much time praying maybe i wasn't in love with him soon after while attending a christian college the passion of the christ movie came out in theaters Our school paid for the entire student body to go see it. I can remember sitting there with the only dry eyes in the theater. Everyone around me was wrecked by the graphic depiction of our Savior's sacrifice for us. But I wasn't. I wasn't moved emotionally at all. Something was disconnected for me. Having grown up in the church after praying a prayer at age five, I knew quite a bit about Jesus, but very little emotion was connected to thoughts of him for me. I wasn't wrecked by the gospel, the good news of how Jesus' death covers my sin. This sent me into a season of wrestling through the four gospels to discover who this Jesus really was. God was working on me because then another year later, sitting around in the dorm at Bible school, a friend of mine channeled my mom and nailed me again. He boldly asserted that I loved my fiance more than Jesus. I wanted to kick him. Again, I was super frustrated with the challenge. This time, though, I found myself in our dorm's broom closet, which doubled as a prayer closet, with my Bible most mornings at 6 a.m., trying my best to submit myself to God and His desires for me. I bet if you stop to think about it, you too have had similar moments in time where God was inviting you closer to Himself. Truth is, we have uncountable numbers of them. God's constantly working to show us His grace and grow our affection for Him. The problem, however, is that we so often miss it. Okay, fast forward through more than a decade of life and ministry, I found myself dealing with some nagging depression like I had never experienced before. A depression that wasn't going away. I had never been more aware of my lack of joy than at that time in my life. It was in the midst of that long depression season that God revealed to me the simple connections of the gospel motivation grid we discussed in our last session. I found myself excited about how it could potentially help other people I coach and disciple and thus give me a bit more meaning in my life through the impact I could have. And maybe that would lift me out of the depression I was in. I had no idea that the grid would be the very thing God wanted to use to directly draw me closer to himself. I began to look at my own life through the lens of the grid. As I applied it to myself, God began to convict me. I was first faced with the questions in box four. Am I even participating in making new disciples of Jesus? The sad answer was not really, even though I was preaching it regularly. And this new honesty rocked me. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't good. I know the grid, so I know where this is going. So I backed down the grid to the next box down. There, I was forced to ask, do I really love people or just the idea that I should? Slipping into desperation as I became more honest with myself, God began to show me that I was sort of a well-meaning liar. My love for people was more about wanting to be known, seen and experienced by others as one who loves. Well, this wasn't gospel motivated. It was self-focused and therefore not full of love for others. I was faking it, and truthfully, after more than a decade of full-time vocational ministry, it had gotten tiring to try and maintain that image. I was burning out trying to love people for myself. I even ended up in the hospital twice with panic attacks. It was a ton of work to maintain this image as one who loves. I began to journal this new awareness I was having, probably being honest for the first time before God. My journal entries were no longer whitewashed with what I thought God would want me to say. They became honest and raw, expressing how I truly felt about people. I began to be vulnerable with my need, allowing my sin to be seen. This was super scary. I was exposed, and I had to trust that God was safe. I had questions like, was he going to punish me for the honesty I was giving? I wasn't Filled with love for people like I had thought, God must be disappointed in me. So, back down the grid, God led me. If I didn't love people, maybe I didn't love God like I thought. Because if I did, I would have his heart and eyes for them. I would love them like he would and does. And then, if I didn't love God that much, was there something about his gospel that I still didn't get? Apparently, I wasn't powerfully wrecked by His grace, mercy, and goodness to me in light of my sin and need for Him. I desperately wanted to experience joy in His grace and mercy in a deep, transforming way like others had. You know those brand new followers of Jesus who have powerful, joy-filled testimonies of being rescued from addiction and, and finding Christ, their lives never looking the same again? What is it that they experience in their repentance? It's God's grace and mercy washing over them. Theologically, I knew that getting to live in that same grace and mercy was an offering from God to me as well, but I wasn't feeling any sense of passion or emotion that should come with that recognition. Emotions can sometimes be helpful indicators. So I knew that who Jesus is and what he has done for us could provide me with a lasting, overflowing joy, as the Apostle Paul talks about, but that had not been my experience, really, ever. I wanted it. I desperately wanted to taste his grace and mercy for what it was. For many weeks, through lots of tears, honest journaling, and prayers for my wife, God began to reveal to me that I couldn't experience his grace and mercy because of my sin. He whispered to me one day, you can't experience the goodness of my grace and mercy because you're self-righteous. My grace is the opposite of your self-righteousness wow, I was working to control everything from appearing loving to appearing lovable to God. I wanted to present God something worthy of his love with my works. I had missed the point of grace and settled for self-righteousness, unable to receive and experience the heart impacting, overflowing grace and love of the Father. My sin was in the way. Sin is the problem and the opportunity. At the core, our sin is often the reason we don't experience the fullness of God's good news. We are misaligned in some way, but God never is. So many people these days work overtime to talk about the gospel without talking about our need for it. Just as incorrectly, they talk about solutions to our problems without including the gospel. But every problem has a gospel response. We will connect you with some great resources on this topic later, so keep an eye out for those. Our fundamental problem is that we were dead in our trespasses, Ephesians 2.5. Thank God for Ephesians 2.4, remember? But God, God steps in and rescues us over and over and over again. What love. We don't realize, however, that without also talking about our sin, we can miss what God has done staying distracted and neutralizing our potential to passionately pursue the king and build his kingdom daily acknowledging god's love for us in spite of our sin leads us to the cross daily acknowledging our sin leads us to the most joy-filled experience of his grace and mercy it's vital that we we remember how and why we can have a reconciled relationship with our creator in repentance we're given his grace by placing our faith in Jesus to be our perfect sacrifice once and for all. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians five twenty-one. This should prompt joy the first time it's embraced and every time thereafter. If it doesn't, maybe you don't realize the gravity of it. You were dead, Remember? Here's a simple way to be reminded of the gospel and know how to simply share it with others god man christ response god good man bad christ covers we respond holy god creator of all things made us to be in a loving relationship with him we sin pridefully rejecting god's ways breaking the relationship in grace god gave jesus christ as a sacrifice for our sin to restore relationship but to experience god's love we must repent of our sin and follow jesus many of us have had a dramatic moment of repentance and that is significant some of us even have more than one but i want to focus on the possibility that jesus's invitation to us is to daily remain in a posture of repentance. The more we actively see our need for him and understand what he has done for us, the more we're drawn closer to him and find ourselves overwhelmed by his love for us. Do you want to know how to be genuinely and passionately motivated to share Jesus with the lost? Stay desperately repentant, keeping your eyes on him and listening for his gentle, loving, forgiving voice. For me, among other things, I have a propensity towards self-righteousness. But by God's grace, I know that and can run to Jesus every time he whispers to me that I'm doing it again. This is the plan. This is the point. He's waiting to redeem every sin moment by drawing us closer to himself in our repentance. This is how we begin to apply the gospel to every moment of every day. Ask, why do I need the gospel right now? And how do the truths of the gospel speak to this moment? Answering those questions and then responding with gospel-informed repentance toward our merciful Savior draws us closer to Him and increases our love for who He is and what He's done for us. And from that humble place, we become sweet, smelling examples of His love for others. If we aren't intentional about remaining in a posture of repentance and thus, experiencing the glory of God's mercy and grace on us, a few things will take place. We will naturally lack an authentic explanation of the gospel to others. We'll lack the greatest possible compassion for others because the gospel isn't transforming how we see others. Inevitably, we'll eventually lack the drive to continue sharing the gospel. We'll move on, burn out, or maybe we'll just Put all of our eggs in the next latest and greatest evangelism tool someone else comes out with. We'll stay distracted with a bunch more doing and not live into our being. A weak gospel becomes boring or too laborious to share. It begins to feel powerless and pointless, and other things take its place. But it's not boring or laborious, it gets to be our joy and our privilege. The gospel becomes the thing we want to live into and give away the most. The good news of Jesus is that of a sacrificed Savior whose great act of love for us was to bear the weight of our sin on himself so that we might be reconciled to the loving Father and others might be as well. In every sin moment we have, God's gentle, loving voice is there reminding us of the opportunity to experience his love for us. And if that's what he gives us in every one of those moments, why wouldn't we get excited about staying attuned to our need? Repentance is a pre-designed pathway to love and joy and fulfillment. Isn't it wild to think about how sin, the thing that condemns us, is the same thing that God uses to redeem us, to call us closer to himself? It works like this. As his spirit works to highlight our sin in us, our need for his mercy and grace, and we respond with a posture of repentance, we're drawn closer to him. He's so good. God causes Satan's twisted plan to work against itself when we're repentant. I think that's genius. So, what is your ongoing gospel story? How has God rescued you from your sin? How does he continue to rescue you? What is he wanting to do in you? And why do you need the gospel today? If you struggle to answer these questions, I want you to try something. I know how much easier it is to react with emotion to the injustices I observe rather than those I commit. I'm way too slow to see my own needs and downfalls. But because there is good news, we can always face the bad news. So, I want you to try joining me in asking God to help you feel the horror and depravity of your sin before him, like you feel the horror of the worst thing you've seen in this world. Asking this question of God might feel kind of intense, but I think it can be a good place to start. He might surprise you. So why do you need the gospel today? May you be more and more filled this week with the awareness of God's grace and mercy over you. And find yourself consumed with the desire to help others experience the gospel as well.